Let's, uh, let's stand on our feet together to pray and prepare our hearts to receive the word of the Lord tonight. Who's, who's hungry to hear the voice of Jesus? Yeah, I just, I want to invite us all to pray, even corporately, that, that God would speak. You know, like we're all on the same team of wanting to press in and incline our ears, that the word of the Lord would come forth with purity and power in a way that would be transformative. And I just, you know, that we would just pray together in that, in that vein, and we would ask the Lord. And so I just want to invite you to even maybe pray out loud, you know, softly. And Lord, I, I yield the gift that you've put on my life, even the, the anointing you've put on my life. We just say, Lord, it's, it's all on the table. We're all surrendering together. And we ask that the word of the Lord will flow forth into this place, that your words will flow like a river, like it says in the book of John, that if we believe in you, out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We ask, Lord, that the river will flow tonight. That pure speech will flow, Lord, not my words, not our thoughts, but your very voice, God. That as the scriptures are proclaimed, they will come and they will penetrate into depths inside of us. And that you will whisper through the midst of the words proclaimed, convicting and guiding us to the truth. We're hungry, God. We're hungry. We're hungry for Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come and reveal Jesus, the living word, the living bread, true food and true drink. Reveal Jesus to us here in this place now. May we encounter Jesus in this time. We open our spirits, God, to discern spiritually and to eat and to drink of what you are providing from heaven. And we pray that in the name of the Lord. Amen. I'm going to read a lengthy portion from the book of Acts. This is the conversion of Saul in Acts 9. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him were speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he couldn't see anything. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying, and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight." But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized and took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples were at Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. All those hearing continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? But Saul kept increasing in strength, confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. I love this story. I think this is perhaps one of God's greatest trophies of transformation. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus does not leave us where we're at? He knows the plans that he has for us. And he has plans to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything that we would ask, imagine, or even dare to dream. He has plans to conform us to the image of Jesus. He has plans to take us from where we are tonight to what it says in the book of Jude, that we would stand before the throne of grace, blameless, with great joy. <laughs> That's exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything we could ask or imagine. He has plans not just for this life, but for eternity. And this life is just the first few chapters of a glorious unfolding of the work of God in our lives. And Saul here is a trophy of God's grace. It's 
fascinating to me a lot of things about this story. But it's profound. We see Saul, who is a very educated, sharp-minded, brilliant, he's intellectually brilliant, versed in the scriptures. Jesus tells us himself that all of the scriptures point to him. So Paul is intellectually brilliant. He probably had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized before the age of seven. He would have had, by this point in his life, the entire Torah to memory. He was as versed as they come. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee, trained under Gamaliel his whole life in Jerusalem, sent by his parents as a young boy to serve under a leading rabbi who sat on the Sanhedrin. Paul is the cream of the crop, versed. He knows the Bible. And yet, Jesus manifests in front of him who the whole Bible points to. And when he sees Jesus, he says, who are you? So well versed in the scripture, yet blind. Yet then three days later, as something like scales fall off of his eyes, he gets baptized, he eats food, and immediately the same Jesus that he's blind to, he begins to proclaim as the Christ. Using the same knowledge that he'd acquired. What happened? He received a new mind. Paul received the mind of Christ. Paul, in this moment on the road to Damascus, was baptized with fire, which would speak to holiness or purification. He was sanctified. So as he's baptized in fire, literally, to the point that he can't see, something transformed inside of him. Though he was the same, he was completely different. Though he had the same education and upbringing, he was completely different. Though his mind still functioned in a way, it was the same mind, it was a new mind. This is the same Paul who coins in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we have the mind of, how do you think he learned that? He received it. Paul received a new mind. Say a new mind. Say, I need a new mind. <laughs> we do. We need a new mind. We need the mind of Christ, not the old mind. A couple weeks ago, we talked about walking by discernment. Who is here? Last week, the Lord gave a word on the cross and that the cross stands before the old creation and the new creation. And the cross, which crucifies the old creation, is the pathway to the resurrection into a new creation. So walk by discernment. We're to be led by what we discern at the spiritual level. We have a regenerated, recreated spirit. It says anybody who, who believes in Jesus has become a, a new creation in Christ. 
So we have the spiritual man inside of us. Paul would call it the inner man. The, the inner man is designed to perceive the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Spirit. And as we discern the will of the Lord, we walk by that will. I want to merge these, this idea of walking by discernment and then this message of how the cross is what bridges us from old creation to new creation and talk tonight about a sanctified mind. Say sanctified mind. Oh God, sanctify our minds tonight. Do it again. Do Acts 9 again in us tonight, Lord. Would you sanctify our minds? So Paul is sanctified as he experiences the Lord Jesus. Sanctification is an interesting term. I've heard it defined in three ways. There's three stages of sanctification. Say it after me. The first stage is positional, progressive, ultimate. What is positional sanctification? This is what takes place at salvation. You put your faith in Jesus. You confess him as Lord. He forgives you of your sin, and he creates a new thing inside of you, a, a identity that is actually in Christ, a spiritual being that Ephesians says right now is seated with Christ in heavenly places. Anyone in this room that's been born again, right now, we together are in Christ at the right hand of God. We're here on earth. I don't know how. But something that's more real even than earth. We're in Jesus. Positional sanctification is the reality that we have been made righteous. It says that in 2 Corinthians 5 that God made Jesus sin so that in Jesus we would become the righteousness of God. So sanctification is just a word that means to be made righteous, to be made holy. So we have positional sanctification in the spirit. Another good way to understand positional sanctification is potential. Say potential. There is Spiritual seed, the promises of God, the word of God, the parable of the sower, the seed is sown and the seed is in us, but until the seed bears 30, 60, and 100 fold, it's in potential form. So there's positional sanctification, then there's progressive sanctification, which is the realizing of the potential of the seed. This is when this starts to actually manifest in our lives. And then there's the ultimate glorification. When we see him, we'll become like him. We'll be face to face, and there will be an ultimate transformation, a transfiguration either, even. We'll receive new bodies. We will be resurrected from the dead. That's core Christian doctrine. And like Jesus, he had a new body, but it was a different body. So he walks through the wall, John 21, and he's eating fish, 
and they're touching his scars, but they're sitting there like, we think it's him. Have you read this? Mary's in the garden and she's like, it was the gardener. Then she sa he says Mary and she realizes it's Jesus. He makes fish on the Galilee and John's like, Peter, it's Jesus. He's about to go back to heaven and they're all standing around and it says, and some of them were still questioning if it was him or not. <laughs> That's kind of trippy. He had a new body that somehow walked through walls. It was a resurrected body. It was a new creation. Jesus' new body, it's prophesying to us of the glorification that we will be raised from the dead and we'll receive new bodies. It, we will be a part of a new creation. The old creation will pass, is what we talked about last week. The cross will crucify the old, but it is the door of hope into the new so that we can step into the glory of the resurrection in a new heaven and a new earth. I hope this is not too heady. So sanctification, progressive sanctification, is the process of letting the cross have its way in us so that what is in potential form will start to materialize in us bodily in this life. We, we will actually start to be transformed. We'll receive a new mind, a, a new soul, a redeemed soul, redeemed emotional capacity, a redeemed will, that's no longer in independence, but in submission to the leadership of the Lord. A redeemed mind that thinks and takes every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. We think like he thinks. A redeemed emotional capacity where our compassion and our feelings are aligned with the feelings of God. Where our desires are in sync with the desires of God. Perfect union. So there's potential, there's progressive, there's the glorification, the ultimate sanctification. And we see Paul here, he is having an experience of both salvation and sanctification. Jesus, or John the Baptist, said, I baptize with water, but one's coming after me who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in the, all of us, in the... Holy Spirit, say it, Holy Spirit and fire. Holy Spirit and fire. I believe this is indicating the different works of grace that God accomplishes in our life. There is the work of salvation. We're baptized in water for the forgiveness of our sins. The old man goes and there's a new creation that comes up from the water. This is salvation. There's a second work of grace, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is when God clothes us with power from on high and the gifts of the Spirit, the charismata, start to express through a new creation. And then there is the the baptism of fire, which is sanctification, which is when the purity of love comes upon us and we are transformed. The fruit of the Spirit. And all of these works of grace are to make us look like who? Because Jesus was the man of power. He was the man of holiness. This is what love is. Power and holiness, love. 
If it's not powerful, it's not love. If it's not holy, it's not love. It's love. But to get here, this is... This is what I'm, we need a new mind. Come on. We need a new mind. Paul needed a new mind. And this is what's amazing. Paul had all the training, all the scriptures, all the everything... But he received a new mind as he was baptized in fire, as he behold Jesus and says, who are you? Something changed inside that man. And immediately what he couldn't see, he could see. Immediately what was very polarized and black and white and he couldn't make sense of because he was very fixated in his ways. He knew who God was. He knew who, how God worked. He knew the testimonies. He knew the statutes. He delighted himself in the word. He was zealous for the law. He was zealous for righteousness. He was a seeker for God. But his mind was fixated. It was rigid. It was conditioned. It was part of the old creation. God breaks in with the Spirit. He gives Paul a new mind. And all of a sudden, this spiritual consciousness rises up in him. And he can see and start to proclaim the Jesus that he couldn't see three days before. So Paul's encounter triggered a process. Because watch this. We think like, oh, wow. Then Paul went and he started, started churches and he started writing the Bible. Wrong. Wrong. He spent 14 years working this out. Because sanctification is an experience and it's a process. Receiving a new mind is an experience and it's a process. There's, here's another story that will capture this. I met a man named Sapraza Sitholi years ago. Most joyful human being I've ever met. He's an African a leader. He's a global, a, a national leader in Mozambique and other parts of the world. He has a book called A Voice in the Night. One of the most profound, crazy testimonies I've ever heard in my life. Has anybody read it? I met Sapraza years ago. I was sitting about, about this close to him, hearing him talk. And he's telling this story. And he tells the story when he was a young man, God told him to uh, go to a seminary that was in a different nation, a different African nation, and they only accepted English speakers, and he didn't speak English. He said, but he felt so strongly, he discerned so strongly from the Lord that he was supposed to go to this school that he applied, but he said he was very nervous as he paid the price to travel to the other country to have the, the admission interview uh, to see if he would get in. So he said he was very nervous because they explicitly said, we only accept English speakers, all the curriculums in English, you have to speak English to be in the seminary. So he's sitting there, he's very nervous to sit down with the, the dean or whoever's interviewing him, and he says about... Halfway through the interview, the, the interviewer says, how did you learn to speak English so well? And he said at that point, he realized he was speaking fluent English. Th this is the trippy part of the story to me, though. So he said, I received by the Spirit a supernatural language. He's like, I received English. He said, and I finished the interview. I got accepted. He said, and then after that? He said, English actually is a really difficult language. And he said, and then it was really hard and I had to learn it. And he said, it was in me, but then I had to learn it. <laughs> Try to comprehend that one. Paul received a new language. 
It was the same syllables and the same sounds and the same scriptures and the same things that he had been reading. But he received by the Spirit a new language. He received a new mind, a new processing system. And though he immediately began to speak out in the name of Jesus, he wasn't ready. Because sanctification is an experience and a process. And he had to work out for the next 14 years. He had to, he had to learn how to live out of a new mind and not revert to the old patterns. Right? Paul was a profound preacher, meaning that everything he preached to the churches came out of his own experience of what he lived. So when he says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he was speaking from very personal experience. He had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus when the fire of heaven came upon him. And there was a new consciousness. There was a new mind imparted to him. He had access to the mind of Christ that he did not have access to before. Somehow there was revelation that started just spinning inside of him and all he could see was Jesus in the same scripture. But he had to work it out. He had to actually edify and be strengthened because sanctification, progressive sanctification, is a process that involves partnership. Say partnership. We are a royal priesthood. Priest, priests are partners. God is looking for partners. God is not looking for people that he has to do everything for. He wants partnership. He wants connection. He wants to walk with us on the road to Emmaus. He wants to be with us in a process of transformation. Paul spent 14 years in a process learning how to transform his mind and actually become a spiritual man. Let's follow the story a little bit further. I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to just share it. We're not going to read it. But in Acts 16, there is a profound story that reveals, in my eyes, the depth of how how deeply God was able to work this sanctification into him. How, how deeply Paul yielded to the work of the cross. Because if we want a new mind, the old one has to die. That's what repentance is. It is a putting to death to old thoughts and paradigms. How does the old mind work? It's rigid. It's inflexible. It's, it, the old mind works in dichotomies. If you want to think how the old mind works, look at American politics. It's black and white, either or, adversarial, dichotomous. Nothing Jesus was was dichotomous. He's a third way. He had a new mind. He spoke with a new tongue. He was profoundly innovative in the way he eluded even the traps. The old mind thinkers, the Pharisees, are coming to him. Do we pay tithes to Caesar or not? Jesus is like, I got a different mind. He, he had a higher wisdom. So there's, there's a whole world, we could, there's a whole sermon we could go to, to what the old mind. The new mind is different. It's convicted. 
but it's not rigid. It's righteous, but it's full of love. It's just, but it's merciful. There's a paradigm. It's a thinking. It's, it's God. It's the mind of Jesus. Could you imagine if you could live a day inside the mind of Jesus? That is his vision for eternity. That you would live with the mind of Christ. This is sanctification. And it's not just for eternity. He wants it to break into now. And the people that God has used to transform the world that we live in are the people that have pioneered and let the cross crucify the old that God could resurrect the new. These are the people that God uses to birth new thoughts, new ways, new expressions of the kingdom of God. So Acts 16, this is just give a picture of the work that God could do in Paul. Persecuting Paul. So black and white that what he didn't understand he had to put down. This is the old man. This is the old mind. We fear what we don't understand and we, we make it a demon. We demonize it. We make it a threat. Paul thought he was doing a service to God. So Acts 16, he has taken Silas and they're going. They first try to go to Bithynia and the Holy Spirit tells them no. Uh, they try to go somewhere else and again the Holy Spirit tells them no. So Paul, is, he's constantly discerning the leadership of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. He wanted to go into Asia. The Lord said no. And then he has a dream called the Macedonian vision. A man from Macedonia says, come and help us. It says immediately they resolved to then follow that as they felt that was the leadership of the Lord. Anybody ever had a time where God just spoke so clearly you knew exactly what you're supposed to do? Like a Macedonian vision? Don't you just get excited when you get those? You're like, I know something good's going to happen. Paul probably had that. So he follows the Macedonian vision to Philippi, which is a leading city of Macedonia. They go to the river. They preach the gospel. A woman named Lydia, who is a wealthy woman, her heart opens. She gets baptized, her whole family. They invite Paul in. They're like, wow, this is going good. Church is starting. Paul's pioneering this work. A few days later, they keep walking by this slave girl who has a spirit of divination, and she's saying the right thing, which is these are servants of the Most High God proclaiming to you the way of salvation. But Paul gets annoyed because he perceives it's not the right spirit, it's the wrong spirit. And after a few days, he said he gets so annoyed that he rebukes the spirit and says, leave in the name of Jesus. And the spirit leaves. And the owners of this slave girl get so upset because she was bringing so much profit that, you know, when Jesus says, if you cast out a demon, it goes get seven more, more wicked than itself and tries to come back. They all come at Paul. So these, things, these, these, these owners get so upset they go to the city magistrates. The city magistrates, in a fury, take Paul and Silas, strip their clothes off, flog them and beat them, and then they get put into the inner prison, which would have been the worst place of the prison, and it most likely would have been at a low point, and it would have been full of feces, and it would have smelt like the worst thing you've ever smelt in your life. Macedonian vision, inner prison. Beating, beaten, bloodied, and bruised, sitting in a cesspool.
Has anybody ever been in a situation where what you expected to happen didn't happen? The Lord called you clearly to this and this, this, this was going to happen. And then it went whoop. Anybody? The Lord wants to lead us places that our soul, meaning our mind, our natural mind, our natural emotions, would never go. God wants to lead us to inner prisons sometimes. The, the word of the Lord that he gives us, the promises in our life, they actually test us. Every promise of God carries a cross and a resurrection. So here's, this is the marvel. Bloodied, beaten, bruised, inner prison, midnight. And what's he doing? Praising and worshiping God so that everyone in the jail could hear and see this spectacle of a beaten man praising at midnight in the inner prison. This is my question that I've been asking myself, I'll pose to you. Would your soul be protesting there or would it be submitted to the leadership of the Spirit? I could easily see my soul, I mean, I'm pretty holy, but I could imagine my soul throwing a bit of a pity party. I didn't go to Bithynia. I didn't go to Asia. I followed your direct word to Philippi. I led that woman to the Lord. I started a church. I set this woman free. And now I'm sitting here beaten and bruised in a cesspool. Where are you? Anybody? I, I could have just, I could just imagine myself being tempted to whine. But here we see a picture of sanctification. Paul was so sanctified Meaning his spirit was edified, it's discerning the Lord, so he's following the Lord rightly. The spirit of God's flowing through his spirit. But then his soul, he has a new mind. He has a different way of processing things than what most human beings would process. He's rejoicing in the inner prison. His meaning that his mind, his thoughts, his soul, his emotions actually trusted the leadership of the Spirit. Right? And God's not like this Gnostic God. I love this story, so let's just keep following it. Like, God isn't just like, it's all about the Spirit, and it doesn't matter. Like, no, I, I think God cares when our bodies are bloody and bruised. I think God cares, like, when we're hurting but Paul is entrusting himself to the Lord. He's worshiping as he is leaning into the leadership of the Spirit, and he's doing a very profoundly prophetic countercultural thing 
Like, it's unimaginable outside of God that you would be worshiping at this hour. He's worshiping. The Spirit of God descends, shakes the prison, and all the bonds are broken. The story gets more amazing. Did Paul leave? <laughs> what? <laughs> you, you broke the chains. He didn't leave. He didn't leave, which... I believe you can read into it that the Holy Spirit didn't tell him to lead, leave. The jailer would have been murdered. That's the Roman way. If a prisoner escapes, it's your life for his. The jailer awakens. He gets afraid that all the prisoners escaped. He gets a sword. He's going to kill himself right on the spot rather than face the public shame. And Paul cries out, hey, I'm still here. I'm still here. And he preaches the gospel to the jailer. But this is what's amazing. The jailer takes Paul and Silas that very hour. And after getting baptized and saved, he himself washes the wounds of Paul. God cares for the spirit. God cares for the soul. But Paul had a trust that I can trust the Lord even if he leads me to an inner prison, I will still praise him because he's better than I think he is. What a picture of a sanctified mind. He just thinks different than most Christians think because the potential had become, it progressed. It had become realized in this man, Paul. He wasn't content to just stay in seed form where you're immature and you're still tossed to and fro because you're still living on the outside. He was edified. He discerned. And he had become so matured because he had gone through both the encounter and a process that had prepared him to live a life of like Jesus. He's like Jesus. Wow. That was a good word. I, I want to give you another story. I've been carrying this uh, testimony with me. I read this for the catechumenate. But sometimes I just think that we, we kind of deify Jesus. We say we want to look like Jesus, and we're like, yeah, but that's, you know, it's like, it's Jesus, though. And it's like Paul. You're like, yeah, but that's Paul. I don't know why we do this, but we do this. So this is, this is a modern example. This is a story that has honestly scared me for the last 12 years of my life. And I love this story because if I'm, I'm probably leery to put too, form, too much form around a vision for sanctification. But we need a vision. We need, we need a, a vision of, that shows us that there's something more than where we are tonight. But sometimes if we get the we can veer and the vision can take us away from Jesus because our mind just doesn't quite know how to comprehend Jesus. And so but I love this story because it really speaks to the primacy of love. And it's a story from Heidi Baker. And this is just a story of, of love and love is the power of God and love is 
the purity of God. It's both. And this is a story of love that I think just reveals that if this can come out of a human being, I know that there's a greater depth of sanctification for me. So Heidi was, uh, her and her husband lived in London in their early years when nobody knew about them. And they had a, they were getting their, their uh, PhDs in systematic theology and they had a church with the homelessness, uh, for the homeless. And this is a story from their time in London. It says, when we lived in London, we spent a lot of time on the streets ministering to the homeless. During this time, I met a dying alcoholic named Patrick. Nearly every day for two years, I would tell him that I loved him and that Jesus loved him. And nearly every day, he would get really close to my face, look straight into my eyes, and tell me to go to hell. I kept bringing him food and telling him that I loved him, and I kept crying out to Jesus to teach me how to communicate his love to this man. One of my constant prayers is for the Lord to teach me to love. I don't want any other thing but to live inside the heart of Jesus and to manifest his love to a dying world. Nearly every day for years, I would visit Patrick and tell him about love. Often he'd spit at me. Sometimes he would take my food and sometimes he would throw it away. One day as I was out on the streets again, a woman I was ministering to began to beat me. She was a very angry and broken person. She'd been raped 16 times and had spent a year in the hospital with a broken pelvis. She was a lesbian and dressed like a man. I often told her that I loved her and that Jesus loved her as I held her, fed her, and ministered to her. One day she was very drunk and stoned. She began beating me and pushing me. But all I could feel was an overwhelming love for her. When I looked at her, she was beautiful. Jean had a broken bottle. She said she was going to rip open my face and throw me into the river Thames. I told her how amazingly beautiful she was. I knew that she too was called to adoption and was predestined to be a daughter of God. As she told me she was going to kill me, all I could see in her was beauty. I told her I loved her. After some time, I began to feel very tired and I thought I would either faint or die. I told God that whatever happened, I wanted his love to be known in that place. Patrick was watching all this happen. And eventually he said he was calling the, the police. I told him not to because I didn't want Gene to go to jail again. Then that man, who for two years had told me to go to hell, came and rescued me from her. For two whole years I'd loved him, but he couldn't see, understand, or feel that love because there was too much pain in his own heart. Patrick grabbed me away from Jean, started sobbing on the street, and said, For years you told me Jesus loved me. Now I've seen his love, and I want him. We just held each other as he fell apart. He held me, and I held him. In his dirty clothes, and his scabies, lice, and alcoholic state, I just held him. He met Jesus that day because he saw love. I believe we've complicated the gospel 
Jesus wants to reduce us to the simplicity of love. My cry is to be hidden inside God's heart so fully that I manifest his glory and never touch it. I want to be so wholly hidden inside him and love like him, manifesting his love tangibly to the lost, dying, and broken. I want to be his fragrance everywhere I go and love, not just with words, but in action and truth. A week after Jean tried to kill me, she came to my house with a dozen roses and said, I'm sorry I tried to kill you. I want Jesus. What a wonderful day. She got set free from all her anger and pain and came home to the Father's house. That's a new creation. That's a new soul. That's a new mind, a new emotional capacity. I'm struck by both Paul and Macedonia. I'm struck by this story of Heidi. That they were so bent in to the ongoing presence and leadership of the Holy Spirit that even when they're experiencing outward trauma, this was more powerful. They were rooted in a spiritual discernment. They were grounded in what God was speaking that it actually empowered them to manifest a different reality to a dying outside world. It's as if they had have so allowed the cross to do its work in them, taking them from the old creation to the new creation themselves, that the byproduct is the new creation starts spilling out of them into the old creation. This is a minister of reconciliation. This is 2 Corinthians 5. That we wouldn't count anyone according to the flesh, but we would see them as a new creation and we would be ambassadors for God, urging them, come and be reconciled to God. But the God that they would see, that we would be ambassadors of, it would be through us, the living epistles, the, the, the sanctified ones who are manifesting love. What a vocation we've been given. Wherever we are on this journey, what I desire to provoke in us tonight is an appetite that there is something more. There's more of God for you. And there's more of you to give to God. The cry of the sanctified heart is, I want Jesus. I want to be close. 
I want to be connected. I don't want anything of the self, love, the old mind, the old man, because it's these things that form a, a shell, a veneer, that fragment our relationship with the Lord. St. Francis would often say that as he had matured in the Lord, he began more and more to wear this life like a loose garment. Meaning, there was a measure of detachment that he started to experience from the things of this world. Not a detachment that would render him ineffective but rather an attachment that would make him, a detachment that made him profoundly effective. Paul, you see this same sentiment when he's talking uh, about how his, his desire is actually to depart and be with Christ, for that's very much better. But it would be better for your sakes, the church, that I press on because it would mean fruitful and painful labor for me. There's something as we yield to this pilgrimage of the sanctification process that we, we start to pass into the life to come. And as we allow the cross, it's a way in us to crucify and to crucify and to crucify and to learn to rejoice in the crucifying, like Paul in the inner prison. This life doesn't have its hold on us anymore. We start to become liberated from the fear of death. We start to become liberated from all these desires that we need fulfillment now, here. And we have this, this purity that starts to arise bit by bit by bit where we have pure and clear discernment because our only will is to do his will. We just want to be close to him. You just want to be close to him. This is an encounter and a process. And I would even say it's encounters. You read the book of Acts. In Acts 2, they get filled with the Spirit. Three chapters later, they get filled with the Spirit. In fact, you just keep reading the book of Acts and just keep saying, filled with the Spirit. It's right to long for an encounter with grace. And I also just want to arm you with the reality that every encounter starts and triggers a process. And I, I, 
I have a sense that God is, there is an encounter for some tonight here. I don't think that there's an encounter for everyone here. Um, but I, I have a, I have a sense that some of you have actually been in fire and it's been distressing, but it's the Lord's leadership in your life and he's actually, it's a season of sanctification for you. Uh, I, there, that song, Knowing Jesus, if we could sing that song up here, that would be wonderful. and. Um, I'm going to have Becca sing this song. It's a really old song. It's a simple song. Uh, but the words, I think, are really powerful. And they speak uh, to the essence of what's being communicated tonight. Um, but I, I want to just open the altar. And I, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is imparting a new mind into uh, many of us tonight, that there's actually a, it's like a consciousness. You know, God doesn't want us to live without understanding. He just doesn't want us to live on our own understanding. He wants us to press on from our understanding to his understanding. And I feel like there's the cross tonight. The cross is imparting a new mind, the mind of Christ, a new consciousness, a, a revelation, but it's, it's something of his presence. And I just want to invite you that as Becca's singing, if you feel prompted to respond and just position yourself in humility before the Lord that says, God, I recognize that where I am is not where I'm going to end. It's not where I want to end. I, I want to press further. I want to give more of myself and open to your sanctifying, transformative work in me. I just, I'm going to invite you to, to come and, and kneel or you can lay and I'm going to have, we'll have a ministry team that will just kind of float tonight and lay hands. I'm going to pray and then I'll have, I'll have Becca sing and then just open this space. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are, you're moving here tonight, God. I thank you for releasing words tonight that are pulling the heartstrings. I thank you for examples in the faith like Paul and Heidi that they prophesy to us of a deeper place in your heart that we don't know that there's more to loving you than we realize that even if we've walked free with you for for decades there is a deeper place still there's a more profound work of grace available I thank you that you're stirring an appetite, a true hunger to give more to you, that we could know you in a deeper place. And I just 
would ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do again tonight what you did to Saul on that road. That you would come and you would open our eyes tonight, perhaps, Lord, to things that we've been blind to. There's some of you that you've been stuck. I I see it uh, really clearly. You've been stuck and fixated. There's been a certain fixation a dilemma that you've had in your relationship with the Lord. It may be theological, it may be moral, it may be. But God is wanting to liberate you from this polarizing fixation, this argument in your mind. There's a repenting, there's a there's a yielding to the work of the cross for you. And I feel like there's Uh, two or three people, you're really struggling. Uh, You feel prompted to come forward, but there's a resistance. And I just feel this tender encouragement from the Lord that you can do it. It's not for anybody else. It's for me. It's for me. The Lord just wanted to bring a breakthrough, a breakthrough in, in the mind tonight. So we just said, Jesus, have your way. Have your way, break in, break off, break through, crucify, crucify like you crucified and on that road to Damascus and then resurrect, resurrect God as only you can. A new consciousness, a new revelation knowledge, a new paradigm of thought, a new a new joy-filled, hope-filled paradigm, the mind of Jesus, that it would be imparted tonight. Like, like you gave Sapresa a new language. Would you release a new language tonight, God, a heart language, a, a consciousness of God, a capacity to perceive God that we didn't walk into this place with, Lord, uh, through the Spirit, by the Spirit tonight in this place oh God have your way Oh. 
that there would be an inner witness of the work of the Spirit inside of us, that we could testify even now, Lord, to the inner witness of the divine Spirit working in this room, Lord, but that would not stop at an inner witness, but there would be an outer witness, a witness like Paul, a witness like Heidi, a witness that prophesies to the world around us that there has been a profound transformation in that life. Lord, we ask for the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to come into this room right now, that you would, you would fall upon hearts, Lord, that you would break generational chains, that you would break patterns of sin and brokenness, that you would change desires, that you would work, God, that you would work wonders in our midst, that you would break in with signs and wonders, God, that you would make us love, that you would possess us with love, God, that you would consume us with a love that isn't of this world. God, we, we ask, we ask, Lord, we ask in faith, we ask with a childlike abandonment, Lord, that, that you would you would materialize, we would realize this work of God, the greater and more abundant than anything we ask or imagine. That you'd come and make us like a new man or a new woman yet again, yet again, yet again, yet again, yet again. If you're on the prayer team, I just want you to go and, and just lay hands. There's a bestowing of grace as we lay hands. If you want to receive ministry, I just, again, want to invite anyone forward. It may be humbling to come forward, but I just want to invite you to, to come anyway and to humble yourself before the Lord that, that as we humble ourselves, we would receive grace. Lord, that you would give grace to the lowly tonight. You would give grace to the poor and the hungry to those that are yearning to take another step, Lord, or a leap, or even perhaps a full push from the Spirit further into this journey of sanctification. God, that, that you would baptize with fire, that you would consume the offering tonight, God, that it would be like on, on, on Mount Carmel, Lord, where your fire fell and licked up the water and it licked up the sacrifice, that you would consume us fresh tonight with a fresh fire, a fresh love, a fresh encounter, that you would reinvigorate a, a new process, Lord, that you would do a work in every heart, Lord, no matter what it looks like on the outside, God, that you would do a work, you would give us Jesus tonight, make us like Jesus, God, liberate us, liberate us from the earthly attachments. Liberate us, God, from anything that's hindering the work of the Spirit in our lives. We thank you for the cross, and we bless the work of the cross in this place tonight. In Jesus' name. You're welcome to linger, and we're going to just minister and let the Spirit have His way here tonight.
go, be blessed. And as you stay, be blessed. Don't, don't need to be in a hurry to go. But as the Lord releases you, please go and go in the peace of Christ.